Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is a podcast about education, community, and care. On the show today, I'm joined by the Belgium-based designer, educator, and researcher Annelies de Vette. From 2009 to 2019, Annelies was the head of the design program at the Sandberg Institute and is the editor of Design Dedication, Adaptive Strategies for Design Education, a new book that collects the work, thinking, and methodologies of the program during her tenure. I read this book earlier this summer and it's easily one of the best books on design education that I've read in the last few years. I just loved how she thinks about design and design education, and also how the students thought about their education and the expansiveness of what a design program can be. Now, Annalise is heading up a new master's program at Sandberg called Disarming Design that is committed to design practices in systems of oppression, and she's also working on a PhD. In this conversation, we talk a lot about education. We talk about the importance of thinking about design education as a system for community and for care. At the beginning of each semester, Annalise invites the new students to her home to stay for a week where they live and cook and eat and farm together. These weeks, in many ways, set the tone for the students' time in school. We also talk about thinking about structuring an expansive curriculum that leaves room for flexibility, experimentation, and inquiry, as well as giving students the tools, not necessarily to make projects, but to build a practice. I completely loved this conversation and find the way Annalise thinks about this work really, really inspiring and interesting. And I was so glad to have her on the show to talk about it all. Remember, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. If you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter written by me as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. If you like the show and you want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. It really helps keep the podcast going. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you as always for listening and here is my conversation with Annalise Stavette. In the introduction to Design Dedication, the, the new book that you edited about the design program at the Sandberg Institute, you write, and I'm going to quote you here for a second, Uh, As a department, we hope to provide a space for young people to prepare for a practice within a profession that is increasingly hard to define. Design today is not about forms or things, but about a mentality and an understanding of the context and underlying structures. Our students graduate not with the design object or style, but with a practice. And if I wasn't already on board with your kind of pedagogical philosophy when I read that sentence. Um, (laughs) I was 100% behind you. And I want to start by talking about that. I feel like we could have a whole conversation just about, you know, those two sentences (laughs) there. There's so much packed into that. Um, I want to start by this idea of students graduating not with an object or style, but with a practice. Can you talk about a little bit more about what that means to you and kind of what that looks like? Um, Yeah, so the Sandberg master students, they, they graduate yeah, with, um, I would say it's a DNA of a practice. So during their studies at the master's, they, they question more like where do they stand? What 
kind of position do they want to take as a designer or also as a citizen? Like what is what for them is of value in the society we live in and how would they like to relate to that through their, uh, let's say, artistic practice? Um, so they develop all kind of uh, works, projects, collaborations, uh, and uh, a certain project is being um, uh, uh, dive deep and into it and that becomes then a graduation project so there is I mean there is something um, but I wouldn't say it's it's about the um, physical representation of the thing or the space or the text or the environment um, but it's really about like um, it underlines like how do they present themselves as um, as designers in the in society like how would they like to use their artistic practice to reflect to the developments that happen around them and to which kind of developments do they want to uh, commit to relate to invest in uh, and how can they do that through their uh, through ways of designing which could also be video writing talking interviewing uh, some are more performance based but it it derives from a design discourse um and what you see is that a lot of graduates, um, they start their own practices. Sorry, maybe you hear chickens on the background. I thought so. <laughs> I'll close the door. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I, you write about the chickens in the book too, so it's perfect. <laughs> um, now, what you see is that they start their own, uh, their own practice, uh, which can be individually, can be collective, uh, it can have different forms. But uh, what's important is that they, with their practice, that they contribute to the values that they care about and that they don't want that they don't become submissive to the system or, or that they don't become obedient to submissive systems that they actually would like to uh, fight against right. um, so that they, they're able to or that they're equipped with the skills to set up uh, their own practice and their own um, position in society that can contribute to the systems they want to contribute to. I I love that. And I, I think so much of, and this is a little bit of a blanket statement, um, but I think so much of design education often doesn't hit at that part about citizenship and about what are your values and design education, perhaps more so undergrad design education. And again, I'm, I'm generalizing here is setting students up for a system for for that kind of submissive system that you're talking about, and I'm I'm interested in how. Obviously, you're working with master's students, and and this program is is a a master's program. But you also write in the book about the kind of flexibility of the curriculum and the kind of open endedness. And you were just speaking to students' work, sometimes taking the form of writing or performance or video. How can you talk about kind of the I don't mean to be reductive here, but the only word I can think of is, is process. Can you talk about what that looks like for a student to kind of come into the program, start to identify values, and then think about how can I make things uh, in response to that? How, how, do you, how do you start to think about kind of helping students articulate what those values even are for themselves? Well, first of all, the um, the moment people are accepted, they already have an application in which you feel uh, that there's a, a sense of urgence or a sense mm -hmm. of um, engagement with the world around them expressed through their design work. Uh, so in that sense, um, we already work with an yeah, when we start, it's already like a unique group with different backgrounds, different lived realities, uh, different skills, different sometimes different generations, different levels of experience. 
So just by this group coming together, that's immediately also a confrontation of your own ideas with the ideas of the other. Um, mm. And so as an, as an education, I think we don't, we don't provide uh, specific knowledge, but we provide an environment in which knowledge can take place or which, in which knowledge development can take place, in which meeting each other takes place. Um, so that's the kind of that's the core to see, like, who are these people? Um, how can they get to know each other? How can they get to know each other's skills? So immediately they learn from each other. They see what the other is doing, and that's very motivating and inspiring. And then in the first year, um, uh, there's so some people work much on their own research or there's a specific project or specific topic that they're really interested in and that they want to explore further and further. And we post questions, provide uh, resources or connect them or there's also all kind of resources within the school itself that they can use other people are more kind of open or do maybe 20 projects in one year so it depends it depends very much on um, the desire and the character and the mentality of the student itself uh, but there's no prescripted expectation the, the expectation is commitment and participation um, but how yeah, that uh, is up to the student how to uh, how to develop that um, and also to allow um, discussions to take place, to see like how can we create, uh, how can we develop a safe space for the students to express themselves in? And then what is safe for one student doesn't mean that it's also safe for the other. So it's also a conversation that can that takes place to see like how how do you feel? Um, and so there's there's group meetings, but there's also a lot of individual meetings. Um, and we and the focus is not so much on, on the final product, but much more on the on the process. Like, what do you want to achieve? What do you want to do? Uh, so sometimes there's a, a certain topic or a certain question that uh, occupies the students, uh, and some people, yeah, they think really through the making, and they they make a lot, they experiment a lot, and then we talk about what comes out. So it's not about solving problems, but it's really about finding out what you, you know, what you care about, what excites you, what is what is it that you want to to learn and develop. I have a somewhat selfish question because <laughs> I also work with graduate students and hope to kind of provide a similar experience um, that, that that you are doing, and I, I think you're speaking to things that I'm very interested in, whether that's around kind of ideas of community and create, making the classroom a safe space, uh, having students kind of find their values, work through their values, and how that uh, manifests itself in making or in quote-unquote design. Uh, and something that I think about a lot is how do I essentially lower my position in the class so I am equal with the students uh, because what I find happen and some of that could be cultures of of the programs you know the type of student is that students take my feedback more seriously than feedback of others and I'm just one person and sometimes midway through a semester a student knows more about their research than I do and and so I, I guess the question that I'm asking is can can you talk a little bit about, or I'm curious about those discussions and ideas around critique mm -hmm. and how you talk about work where students are bringing a really diverse set of values, a diverse set of processes, working on a diverse set of projects. How do you talk about them in such an individualized way in a group setting like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Well, there's a, a variety of uh, aspects, I think, that influence the, the development of this. So I think for the first thing is also like in which space are you and how do the bodies move in the space? Like, is it already in hierarchical setting, you as a tutor and the students as students, or is it more the way the bodies move already more non-hierarchical? I would always long for that, for, for more non-hierarchical mm-hmm. settings mm-hmm. within the space. Yeah. Also, the question is, should it be in the in the educational room? Is it a comfortable room, or isn't it nicer in someone's house or uh, outside in the park? Uh, could it be while walk, walking instead of sitting around? So, like the, the way bodies relate to each other influences a lot uh, the sense of hierarchy. Then um, I'm. Uh, I recognize the kind of natural longing from students that they take the feedback of the tutor more serious than the feedback of their fellow students. Well, I think it's uh, it should be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, often also uh, I avoid giving feedback. I think it's it's so much more interesting to ask the others for feedback, but to to um, moderate the conversation that takes place or to stimulate people to give feedback to each other. Because by articulating feedback to somebody else's work, sometimes that's the most learningful experience. And as right. a tutor, you can, yeah, you can kind of uh, structure or manipulate who is speaking or how long or to which topic to dive into. But it's way more interesting if the students say it themselves than you as a tutor say it because then um, you indeed immediately, your words have more authority than the, right. the words of the students. Um, so I think that's uh, yeah that's very important, and that's and then also there's the question of when you're together in a group, um, like what kind of feedback do you give that's shared with the whole group, and when you have an individual meeting, the tone of voice and the things that you share uh, amongst each other can be very uh, different. Um, so I think it's. Um, yeah, it's very easy to kind of give critique or to say what's wrong. But what you, what's way more of value and sometimes way more challenging to articulate is what is it, what is the quality of something? Why is something mm-hmm. good? Or what is what makes you? What, where do you see potential? What's interest? Or what do you think can really grow? Uh, and there's a, a Dutch uh, artist who I often quote, which I find such a brilliant quote. It's Willem de Ridder. He he used to make. Um, so radio programs in the Netherlands. He's a bit uh, esoteric. And then uh, in one conversation, uh, uh, which is about uh, es- esotericism. So in a, this, this uh, uh, radio broadcast is, is about esoteric topics. And he kind of says like, yeah, everything where you put energy in that grows. So don't put energy in problems. and to me it's kind of a very interesting quote in thinking about education so i really want to put energy in the things i want to let grow and that is also Mm. maybe for the things i do in my own practice but also in the way i teach the way i deal with people like energy makes things grow so what do you want what do you want to let grow and that those are the things that have potential or that are interesting or that are yet unknown but you feel it shakes you um Mm -hmm. And often critiquing, saying this is wrong or this doesn't work, um, is derives often also from the things you already know or from the way the prescripted settings of your way of thinking, uh, and gives less space for for the new or the unknown or the, the exploration of new languages, new forms, new kind of projects. Also for the for the students themselves. So I think it's really interesting to to open up the imagination to to also to motivate the students to say, hey, there is a tremendous potential. What you say there is to me is really interesting. Um, could you could you explain that further or explore that further? Uh, and yeah, things that are wrong is not so interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's kind of exactly what I was thinking about it as you were answering the previous question and something that I've been thinking about a lot about kind of in the classroom setting is that idea of encouraging the students to, how, how do you facilitate a discussion for students that moves beyond what often becomes, uh, I don't know, superficial critique about what is right or wrong, or even becomes kind of performative in some way. A student wants to kind of show that they, you know, are well-read or know something and kind of, you know, it becomes more about, you know what I mean? It becomes mm-hmm. more about the student kind of presenting than about the work that's kind of under analysis. And I, I don't mean to be too prescriptive here, but I, I want I kind of want to know what that looks like for you. And so you're talking about changing the setting. You're talking about one-on-one discussions that take place over walks. Can, can you talk about this idea? And this, this is something that's clearly uh, important to you and something that you think about a lot. And it comes up in the book again about ideas of kind of designing community, designing care, designing trust, designing a place for these things to, to happen. Um, I, I guess I have two questions. The first is how did you start to kind of arrive at these ideas? And then two, what do those look like for you as a teacher? How do you actually kind of um, think about creating space for community and trust and care and, and uh, you know, space for people to bring them full selves to the work? Well, first, when I started as a head of a, a design master, so that's now 11 years ago, I was really thinking, I was questioning myself what would have been the most learningful experiences that I had uh, while being a student. And I felt that the most valuable moments took place outside the institutional moments and sometimes also outside the institutional space. Though you still do need the setting to have this inside and outside or a moment to come together or maybe something to be against. Um, But I felt like doing the excursions, um, during visits to other places or yeah, the moment the tutors had left, we kept, we stayed in the building, we had 24-hour access, we ordered pizzas. And at those moments, those unplanned moments were the most interesting conversations or it, then maybe the space became more of a safe space and we talked about each other's work without having an aim or a specific goal or a specific focus. But it's really, um, I would say, informal or spontaneous conversations. And that was um, very... Uh, uh, truthful or sincere um, and those were also the things that entered to me most deeply or became most transformative those moments so I was also wondering if I'm heading the master uh, program how can I generate these kind of moments I kind of make sure that there's enough space for um, for this informal moments or outside the curriculum or outside the building Um, which also needs to be in in the right balance because sometimes I gave too much space and people felt, hey, this education is nothing. Um, (laughs) Right. And and, and then when I programmed too much, they felt like, hey, uh, I I want to have my own agency. So there is a sense of, um, and one year, the balance is different than the other year. So it, 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 uh, it requires to really listen to the students and to, f- and to have conversations with the students. Like, how do you perceive the program? How do you perceive mm. the space? How do you perceive the way feedback is given? Um, so in order to, uh, yeah, to adapt to, to uh, the, I don't know, the sensitivities or the dynamics in the group. Uh, one of the things uh, that I've done actually every year while heading the department is in the beginning of the year, I invited all the students to my own house. Right. I live in a farm in Belgium. 
uh, and uh, I invited him for a week to come over. Um, and sometimes that was the first moment people met each other. And then it's a completely there. Everyone is uncomfortable. I mean, I'm all, even though I'm inviting them, I feel very uncomfortable when they enter my house. They feel uncomfortable that they are in the in the private house of a tutor. They feel uncomfortable maybe sharing uh, the places. But we have to go through that. We have to. Um, uh, yeah, and then we start cooking together, we start talking together, people start to introduce themselves, conversations arise, we walk or we, um, throughout the years, I've focused more and more on sensorial experiences because I felt that that had the most magical impact, more than like really content-driven activities. So the l- latest years we picked, yeah, we harvest walnuts, we picked berries in the forest, we made our own okay. bread. And while doing these things, really interesting conversations came up and particularly because our students come from really different backgrounds and different regions in the world so they also grew up with very different rituals very different ways of dealing with food or dealing with urban or um, rural uh, realities and while making bread or walking in the forest these conversations opened up and that became really interesting to see hey, how do you relate and what do you par- what did your parents do or why did you choose for the sandberg and and then there was the conversation on food. And, and then it also allowed space and, and context for students to, um, uh, how do you say, to, to blossom or to, uh, yeah. to really, like some were really entertaining, some were really funny, some were very good chefs, uh, some were very uncomfortable, but they are amazing designers. So there's right. really different kind of realities, different kind of, of context for students to exist in. And so you find different you see or witness really different qualities of people and their yeah friendships were born or ideas were born for new collaborations or new works um, without kind of the pressure of an assignment or solving something but really arrived out of curiosity to each other and I felt that was really um valuable so that in one week I got to know the students much better than uh, it would take maybe a year within the educational building um, and also the students got to know each other much better. And there was a sense, it, it uh, contributed to a sense of trust amongst each other in the group, in discussing each other's work, in setting up initiatives, and also to stimulate students to uh, yeah, cook at their own houses and invite other students or to see education, not just within the educational building, but to see education really maybe as uh, an opportunity to live together or to think of different ways of living together. That's exactly where I kind of wanted to take the conversation next. And so I'm glad that you brought it up because that was the other big piece of the book that I found myself thinking about a lot after is this idea that at the beginning of each year, you invite all the students to your farm to you know, essentially live there for a week and live together and cook and go on walks and farm. And I was thinking about reading that, I was thinking about my own grad school experience where we, uh, throughout the semester, the program director would invite all of us to her house, um, you know, just for a day. And, and it was, there was no activities. There was no structure. It was just, let's all hang out at my house today. (laughs) It was usually after a workshop or something like that. And those are my fondest memories of grad school. And, so many of the conversations that happened there ended up manifesting themselves in the work, not on purpose, not because we were trying to talk about our work, but that at, that change in environment, that change in atmosphere 
changed how we related to each other. And so that was just, you know, one day every couple months. And so I can't imagine how much that's amplified when it takes place over a week. How did that, can, can you talk more about how that kind of changes the tone of the rest of the, you know, the rest of the year? I imagine that there, there's something almost uh, utopian or idyllic about that, of living on a farm and cooking together and eating together and and walking together when they return to school and i don't mean to make that sound so like that thing ends and the other one begins but when they then go into working how does that week how do you see that week kind of filtering into the rest of the year um it's a bit hard to answer in the sense that i witness but it's yeah it's mm, yeah, it's yeah. more to this to to the students to really kind of express what impact it has but I do, yeah, hear them sometimes talking back about these experiences. Mm. But what, what I can witness is that certain conversations started during this week and they continue. So the moment you're back in the school building, there's still this energy of, the, of that week. But during the week, it's also a lot about taking care of each other. And once um, um, B, B was a Chinese student, she, she broke her leg while dancing just the day before the trip. <laughs> so we hiked and we really had to take care of her and carry her all the time. Oh, wow. And she was partly on, uh, while we walked in the forest, she was partly on the pony. So she didn't need to <laughs> walk on her foot. <laughs> but somehow immediately did, um, it breaks down the convention or it breaks down the expectation yeah. you have or how to relate to each other. Also it becomes very bodily because people had to carry her up or um, also with cooking. Um, yeah, and then sometimes yeah, ask the people, the students to to help or to initiate the dinner. And then yeah, uh, people often bring the recipes or bring the tastes from what from their mm. from their homes. Mm -hmm. So that opens up really interesting conversations. And often, uh, yeah, there's always a couple of people who are really interested in food and ingredients. And that continues at the Sandberg Institute. Also, there's a big kitchen at the Sandberg Institute. So it also invites or gives the opportunity for students to cook or to, to make things. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I love that to, to really think about also the food, the cooking. Um, yeah, so there's this, this sense of, of, of cooking, or, but also organizing dinner parties and fighting each other. Um, I also remember once I invited uh, people to come during this week and speak about their work or speak about a certain topic. So we sat around the fireplace and someone was speaking and then there was a conversation. So it was really different than an invited guest at the school building, which is immediately kind of hierarchical and also has a clear starting point and a clear ending point. And here the guests would also join the dinner. Um, the conversation continued. And they loved that so much. So then uh, Arthur Röring Beer. A German-Swedish student then started uh, the quicksand lectures. He said, well, this mm. is what we should do at the Sandberg. We as students should also invite guests and have dinner with them at school. Um, mm -hmm. And so since then, we have this uh, student-run uh, lecture series. Uh, so we, we, we have a certain part of the budget free for the students in order for them to invite, yeah, to set up their own lecture series in a way they want. Um, so that was kind of uh, very... Um, a concrete that came out of the week and that that continued mm, often yeah so and then there's yeah, all kind of things but i think what's maybe most important is the sense of 
to get to know each other on a better way, to see the different qualities of people, see different ways of being. And therefore, um, yeah, it opens also more um, your ways of thinking or your daring to fail or the ways of expressing yourself also in very vulnerable ways uh, to allow that to, to happen. And I think that's maybe the most important thing, that it's the moment you get to know each other better, there's more exchanges, the more vulnerable you dare to be within the group, and also the more space you allow to fail. And I think that's really important, that everything you can fail, it's not about um, success, or um, and it feels safe within that environment. I have a question that I'm almost embarrassed to ask a little bit. I'm I'm like self-conscious to ask this question (laughs) because I feel like it, I, I, I don't mean to cheapen what you're saying, but I'm I'm thinking about what you were saying at the beginning of the conversation and thinking about students' work in the program taking a variety of forms, whether that's writing or video, uh, but kind of using a design lens necessary, uh, more so than thinking about creating design projects. And also in the book, I'm thinking of uh, I think it was Daniel Vandervelden who said something about the program really defends the act of making and mm-hmm. making sure that students have time to make uh, in a world where they constantly have to kind of be presenting themselves, writing emails, doing kind of administrative yes. things. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking about your earlier point about students' work taking a variety of forms. And I'm thinking about this idea of organizing student-run lectures and cooking dinner for each other. And I'm curious about do you think about or do and I don't mean for you to speak to the students does the program think about or or is there thought around what is considered work and what is considered not work <laughs> you know what I mean because like I'm hearing students organize a lecture or I'm hearing students putting together dinner for each other and part of me thinks like oh that's such an that's interesting just in and of itself <laughs> you know like is that cons- you know what I mean like I don't mean to say this is now a project, but how how do you think about that kind of fluidity between what I'm going to call projects or the practice and just living? <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Do you know yes, what I mean? Yeah, but I think there it's super interesting because the moment you think, oh, is, is it organizing a dinner a project or not? I think there is also comes back your question about feedback. In a sense, because this organizing a dinner doesn't allow such a feedback session. It's really a way of being. And maybe right. that's the most interesting thing. Because then it's, um, uh, it is about initiating. It is about communication. Yeah. It is about organizing or as a designer also being a host or thinking about hosting. And what does it mean, hosting? Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, these are qualities that as a designer you can really or do from also from a designer point of view or through a design lens. And you practice it kind of, uh, intuitively, but, but through it you, you recognize other structures. So you think, hey, maybe it's instead of organizing an exhibition, maybe we should organize a dinner or maybe it should take another form. But you need to go through these experiences or really allow the work or the material or allow the setting to uh, speak to you instead of having an idea first and then execute the idea, which yeah, is also often based on things you already know. So how can you allow the energy of the work, the energy of the, of the meeting or the energy of the commu- community, how can you allow that to drive you forward in next uh, decisions? And 
often people also ask themselves like, yeah, but what does it mean for my practice after Sandberg or how can I make money with that? <laughs> how can I sustain myself? And of course, this is kind of a, a recurring question, but I do believe like the more you do what you, the more you're able to do what you think is of value, the more uh, uh, request there will be. Um, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense to do what is already being done. I think there's much more uh, interest in finding new spaces or finding, perhaps discovering that you're not interested in design at all, that actually, yeah, you really want to become a writer or filmmaker or, um, yeah, that's not up to the education. I think that's up to you to discover in these two years are ways to discover that. And so particularly in the first year, we really try to stimulate the students not to think about the, the future in that sense, but to really allow allow processes to take place and more in the second year to think about well, how would you how can you uh, with the, these experiences or with the, with these initiatives or things that you did how can that tra- how can that be translated to a practice or how can you use mm-hmm. that on, on other ways I think that's exactly right and I think that speaks so much to my experience both when I was a graduate student and now my experience as a teacher in that my you know, as we talked about before, we, before we hit record, my my graduate school project was a podcast, and I thought a lot about: is this design? You know, is this? <laughs> am I still a designer? And I, I I had this. I kind of had self identified as a designer for many years, and part of that project and part of the work that I've done since is this kind of slow realization that being a designer in the traditional sense is not actually the thing that's interesting to me. It's these conversations, it's being in the classroom, it's writing. Um, And I still approach all of those through the lens of being a designer, through the experience of being a designer. I still kind of think of those activities, even though they're not maybe what we traditionally think of as, as graphic design. I still think about them as acts of design. And I see this with my students all the time who are kind of making really interesting work. And they, they'll they ask, like, is this design though? Like, I feel like I'm just making art. And that, like, that's like that they see that as a bad thing. And I'm, I'm always wanting to be like, who cares? It doesn't matter like what you call it. And then they're like, well, how am I going to get a job? And I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, and I was kind of curious, how do you have those types of discussions? How do you talk about kind of letting go of these, you know, identities or of these uh, kind of preconceived boundaries that we sometimes have to create kind of the practice that is so individualized? Mm. <laughs> that was a big question. Yeah. No, yeah, a few thoughts crossed my mind. So when you talk about the question, is it still design or not? Then you can also question, do you think if the output manifests itself as design or is it more your mentality, a way of thinking, a way of looking? Mm. So I think it's too limited to only look at the output or to look at the medium. I think it's really, right. yeah, design can be also very um, miscellaneous or untouchable. Uh, uh, design can also be yeah, a way of thinking or a way of dealing with each other or a way of hosting. So... Yeah, the def- and also as you said, whether it's design or not, whether it's art or not, that's not an in- yeah, uh, that's not an interesting question, or that's right. not a relevant question. I think what's relevant is more what would you like to achieve with it, and what if if your students, as you 
describe in his example, say, oh, is it is it still design or not? Then they're also based their thinking very much on an expectation that they have right. of something already existing. So they try to fit themselves into a certain system or into a certain expectation. And I think there, yeah, it's in, in, in essence pr- problematic because then you reaffirm the system's yeah, that are maybe even ruling us or that are already existing. Right. And how can you as a designer contribute to different ways of, of living or different ways of world making? Uh, and then right. you have to let go of your existing um, definitions unless you want to become a very commercial designer and contribute for, for neoliberal capitalistic structures <laughs> flash magenta-colored marketing campaigns. It could be right. a choice. But personally, I would like to stay out of those systems. And then yeah. you really also yeah. have to yeah, relate to, um, to maybe unknown systems or to really see like how can education liberate, be liberating and be emancipating. Yeah, that's interesting. That actually, that's kind of like very helpful just for me personally as, as I kind of think about working with my students because these questions come up and they ask like, how am I going to get a job? And it's, it's actually, I, I hadn't, I'm embarrassed that I haven't thought about it that way. And it's like, well, you know, you're here in grad school because you wanted to do something different, most likely. And so why would you make work that will then just get you another job at, you know, whatever branding (laughs) agency? You know, you're here, obviously, because there's something else you want. But the American system is also different than the European system, or uh, particularly also in the Netherlands and Belgium, where I can uh, relate to directly. like. The, uh, the 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 height of the depth of students who graduate mm. in the states is way more bigger than than here. Right, right. And if you say, because I believe education should be liberating, should be emancipating, should contribute to new ways of being together, new ways of world making. But the moment you graduate with the tremendous depth, you're kind of forced to function into a capitalist neoliberal structure in order to right. get rid of your your um, depth. And I think that's very problematic with with yeah with educate with with um, the finance and the, and the neoliberalization of education that kind of um, uh, prevents it from be- being liberating because you really indeed have this tremendous burden on on your shoulders when you graduate to pay off the bills. I mean, can so can we? And I, I realize that there is a difference between uh, kind of European models and, and the United States models, but I'm interested in how you think about this in your practice uh, outside of teaching. Because mm-hmm. um, your practice is also something, I think it's very connected to what you're talking about in the classroom and that it is kind of looking at these systems and critiquing these systems and working around and outside of these systems. How do you, how do you think about how these questions that arise in the classroom shape the, the other work <laughs> that you're doing? Yeah, it's not that one, sh- yeah, one shapes the other, but it's not... The other shapes also the other, or it's like they, they right, all right, influence right, right. each other. But there was a certain moment in, in the development of my practice that I did realize that actually all the projects that I do are based upon collaboration and about mm. communities uh, and also giving mm-hmm. platform to underrepresented voices or to really try to um, uh, articulate or visualize the voice from within. And so the bottom-up uh, uh, experiences or kind of lived knowledges how to give platform to that uh, as kind of an antidote to uh, the magnetic 
images and stories that media, and particularly mass media, are reproducing. So how, as a designer, can I contribute to these other voices and these other um, sensitivities or contribute to sensitivity mm -hmm. about yeah, being in the world? Um, and so it kind of more unconsciously that, that became more and more stronger in my practice and also thinking about yeah, how to sustain myself. Um, that uh, I mean, I've been in a very lucky position uh, starting my practice in the Netherlands and having also cultural and educational institutes that allowed, uh, allowed uh, how do you say, more experimental or more vulnerable projects to take place and yeah. uh, not graduating with such a big uh, depth. But that's different now, like in, in Europe, like uh, on the, particularly in the Netherlands, everyone is, is graduating with... Uh, Mm -hmm. with with a big depth um and I, I graduated in 1999 so it was a different it was a different time uh, right. and i thought it was interesting well in the beginning of my practice i was really questioning i would like my work to have value but i didn't know what was what i thought was of value and and through my practice <laughs> more right. and more this defined itself and then uh, I was asked to give a workshop in Tallinn in Estonia in 2003. And then Tallinn was, for Estonia was just a member of the European Union. And I uh, came up with the proposal to make a subjective atlas of the European Union from an right. Estonian point of view. And all of a sudden, it was a political question, but it was also a very playful question. It was collective. It was education. And somehow, mm -hmm. after this book was made, I felt that everything kind of came together about politics, education, design practice, collectivity, um, and having this um, multi-layered visual conversation that speaks on a different way than um, kind of that journalism does or than uh, books do, or to have this, its own niche in, in its way of expressing uh, itself on mm -hmm. a kind of an open way, not um, uh, like it's their subjective atlases, visualizing what it means to live in a, on a certain place or region, seen from inside out through mappings, through graphs, through observations, and um, not through opinions. And that kind of that developed further. And then in 2007, I made subjective atlas of Palestine, uh, and I went to to Palestine, to the West Bank, worked with with a lot of Palestinian artists and designers, and that. Yeah, deeply opened my eyes and completely changed my practice in thinking about politics, in about the role of design in in society, in um, the role of design as a form of resilience, as a form of resistance, um, and how our, our creative practices can be like, deeply meaningful uh, mm -hmm. for also the person doing it, also for the kind of spaces that it creates, the stories that it narrates. And I felt that that, um, uh, yeah, that deeply affected me in thinking about also who I am as a white European privileged uh, designer right. from the Netherlands right. and how right. to relate to these different realities, cultures, uh, problematics, how to relate to colonization, how to relate to racism, and how through creative practice can you um, yeah, resist on, on different ways with different languages. And, then, and that developed further. This actually connects nicely to the new master's program that that you started called disarming design yes. um which which seems like that program really is born out of your practice um can you talk about what that program is and what that looks like and, and maybe even how that's kind of different than 
um, Sandberg's other design program. Yeah, so it's the Sandberg Institute has uh, main departments and temporary departments. Main departments accept students every year, and temporary departments exist only one time for two years and are more uh, mm. theme-based. Uh, so I got the opportunity to start uh, a new temporary master's program. Uh, and the urge to, to do this uh, is really rooted in all the experiences I ha I've had uh, in working in Palestine and with Palestinian artisans, designers, uh, and artists. And really thinking about what can design contribute to self-empowerment, to emancipation, um, and how through design practices can you... Uh, yeah, can you create autonomy? Can you contribute to liberation? And uh, because, for instance, what I saw in Palestine, uh, there are some really interesting designers, but there's not many spaces where they can have um, more autonomous practices. Uh, often, if if your work really exists within Palestine, then often you need to work for commercial branding offices. Or so then, in a way, you contribute to the systems that actually are the ones who, who oppress you or occupy you. Um, and so how can you, as a designer, contribute to different systems of beings, different systems of uh, relating to a place, relating to identity, and relating to decolonial uh, practices? Uh, and also working together with the craftsmen and with, um, with the design history that's on a place but which is, might not be recognized as design history or design discourse how can you work right. with the specific localities uh, and at the same time uh, through um, through an understanding of what design can do uh, set up other practices and set up actually new learning platforms for design so this is the kind of the the, the root of the new master's department it's called disarming design and it wants to equip the students with uh, abilities to set up new platforms for design learning uh, in oppressed or against oppressed situations and how can you um, create this autonomous spaces in vulnerable uh, political or social uh, situations and I believe that with uh, a good network with knowing each other maybe um, manifesting yourself as a collective or understanding how institutes work and to maybe work with institutes, but not within institutes. So how can you create autonomy outside institute, but still create a certain way of working and way of dealing that allows a certain sustainability for um, this, this, the space of design that you think is of value? So, um, so this is the core of the, uh, of the program or of the, the aim of the program. So we have accepted 17 students of which... Five, yeah, five are Palestinian for, from Lebanon. There's one from the United Emirates, from the United States, from Estonia, mm. from uh, Spain, from Germany, from the Netherlands, Switzerland. And they all um, are very interested in collective practices, in design pedagogy, uh, mm. also in materiality, like how to uh, speak and work and think through the materiality of things. So right. also through craftsmanship, through making um, and also, how can you relate to different, yeah, different backgrounds, different traumas, different uh, ways of being? And in in the spaces of making together, how can you find at that moment uh, an equality or uh, a different way to communicate with each other? And are all of these students who who are going to go through this program? Are they do they come from design backgrounds or or kind of what kind of um... 
you know, professional backgrounds yeah, do they, they have? Because I imagine this is something that could also be very diverse. Yes, yeah. Now, they all have a design background, but some okay. uh, have more, come more from a video background, some from mm. more crafts background, some more from a fashion okay. background. There's some, okay. there's a, a, a typographer, type designer from Cairo who has an amazing type practice. There's uh, designers from Lebanon who uh, are very skilled actually in screen printing. And during the revolution in Beirut, of in Lebanon, and then they were in Beirut, they took their screen print uh, equipment to the street and people came with T-shirts and they screen printed logos for the revolution on, on the T-shirts, on the spots. And so it's, yeah, I find these ways of using design very interesting in yeah, relating to political discussions through design skills and also with tool making, you know, who owns the tools, who build the tools, what do we make, where do the resources come from, and how can we question all these aspects in the, in the process and make the, the right choices? I have two more questions that are the two questions that I use to end uh, many of these conversations. And you kind of were just speaking to the to the first question, but I'm interested in what's next for you, or what are you kind of thinking about now that's really uh, consuming your interest. Um, well, my, my uh, I also started a PhD this year, which uh, right. is called Disarming Design from Palestine, and that. Uh, wants to research uh, like what are the conditions for design pedagogy in situations of oppression and that can contribute to uh, emancipation. So it's a research that I yeah will continue working on in, in the next years and it's a practice-based PhD. So it, uh, we hope it contributes to setting up a design mm-hmm. school and design program in Palestine with my uh, Palestinian colleagues with who I uh, uh, set up uh, a thought-provoking design label, Disarming Design from Palestine. And I hope that with the uh, master students of the new Deserving Design Master, that it can right. really contribute to their uh, the, the ideas that they will uh, develop in thinking about how to set up new design platforms and how with the master program can we contribute to uh, providing skills, providing network, providing access and thinking about um, uh, yeah, how to empower uh, these positions. At this moment, we're going through the whole process of them applying, getting a visa, um, and then non-EU students have to pay much more than EU students. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in Lebanon, because of the revolution, the banks were closed, and then the students could not get bank statements, which is required in order to get a student visa. So there's a lot of administrative labor that's required, particularly from non-EU students, which is really unfair if you compare it to the situation the position of EU students so this comes directly to what are the conditions of design education who is able to access it mm-hmm. and who is not not able to mm-hmm. access it what does it require and how can we change these conditions and also how can we put the discussion about these discussions more on the table to understand that um, that design education is also a privileged uh, place to be and how right. can we make it right. more accessible and more open for people from different geographies, different backgrounds. So another aspect that I would like to, that I'm working on the setting up is a new uh, publishing platform called Disarming Design, together with uh, alumni of the Sandberg Institute who developed the student-run publishing platform PUP, uh, and then that will be rooted, yeah, also in Palestine and with the participants of the master education. And really think how can we use such a platform to share knowledge, to develop knowledge, and to empower these different um, uh, positions and also to stay outside capitalistic neoliberal structures. How can you, um, mm-hmm. how can you organize such a practice? 
Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm so mad that you brought this up at the end of the conversation. I feel like we could we could talk about this for a, for another hour. Um, my last question is: I'm just curious what you're reading right now. Mm. Um, it is. I'm reading several books at the moment. Um, okay. Well, what I found a super interesting book is Design for the Purifers from Arturo Escobar. Now, he's a Colombian anthropologist and really looks at um, yeah at, at design, particularly for um, indigenous communities or how... Um, so he says, like, a main goal of the book is to ask whether design can actually contribute to enabling the communal forms of autonomy that underlie the transitions... Fi- transition visions of, of yeah, life projects, where he really talks about how design um, is a reflection and also an influence on ways of being and ways of relating to each other. And so I think that's really interesting to think, yeah, the position of design in um, feeding culture, developing culture, maintaining culture, and what role does that play and how can we um, enforce that space that design can take? And then I'm also reading Adrienne Mary Brown, Emergent Strategy. She's a Canadian activist, which I recently read an interview with her, and I thought it was really inspiring. Uh, it's about shaping change, changing worlds. Um, so it's yeah, uh, strategies for activism, but on a very um, lively, engaged way that she talks about it. Well, I can definitely recommend, like her her book, Emergent Strategy. I think it came out three years ago, and it um, uh, it seems to be really a bestseller. And she's also very inspired by Octavia Butler and about how Octavia Butler is really about futurism and imagining different imagining different futures and different worlds. Um, and so I think that's also interesting how literature can then also inform yeah, these posi- positions of people who make and act. And so actually at the moment, I'm also reading Octavia Butler, The par- Parable of the Sower. Yeah, the design for the pluriverse has been recommended on the show before, and I have yet to pick it up, and so I feel like I need to get that one. Yeah, there's also an, um, a lecture by Octavio by Arturo Escobar on YouTube, uh, mm. and it's amazing. Like it's it, the, the the lecture is called "Design for the Pluriverse," and he kind of unveils what the book is about, and he talks oh, about it very. Um, uh, I could absolutely recommend following the lecture on YouTube. Okay, yeah, I'll add that. I'll add that to a link. Uh, when this episode goes up too. This was such a great conversation. I feel like you helped me think through things that I was thinking about (laughs) in my own work and just kind of think about so many things in new and different ways. And I think the way you operate and the way kind of your tenure running the design program at the Sandberg Institute is so inspiring and there's so much... um, to kind of learn from and thinking about pedagogy and teaching and community and care. Uh, and I, I loved the book. I loved this conversation. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jared. This episode was recorded on July 30th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.